Hey, hey everyone. Welcome to Home Energy Design. How to design a beautiful home and life and make sure it's energy aligned. I'm your host, Amanda Gates, and I'm an interior designer and feng shui practitioner. And these combined skills have made me a floor plan reading expert. Energy design is like astrology for your home and your life. And who doesn't want more of that? I believe in all things pretty. In fact, my team and I love the pretty. But what makes my firm different is that we can help you create designs that are also energy aligned to help you get the home and life you've always dreamed of. Are you ready? Let's do this. Hey, hey everyone. Welcome to Home Energy Design. I'm your host, Amanda Gates. And all I can say is, wow, it's a really surreal time we're in. Don't you agree? Man, many of you have reached out. You're full of uncertainty, stress, high emotions, and hey, I completely understand. If you haven't already, be sure to check out the podcast that I did back in December with Rachel Lang and Tisha Morris. Uh, We talked a lot about this year and just some things to expect. And boy, are they unfolding as we said that they would. My other friend who's also an astrologer, Sharita Starr, I've had her on the show She said that this would be the year you'll find yourself saying, expect the unexpected. And that's just as true, right? Holy cow. I feel like I was told that there was going to be a car crash, but I didn't know when it was going to happen or where it was going to happen or how many people it was going to involve. I just knew it was coming. And it never unfolds how you think it's going to. (laughs) Holy cow. And the thing is, is that I've known about 2020 for over a decade. I've mentioned it here on the show before. My then astrologer, uh, Tom Brady, no, not the football star. Uh, He was an astrologer in New Mexico. And he told me in 2009 that things would never go back to normal. And this was in regards to me asking him like, okay, Tom, we just went through this massive 2008 crash you know times were extremely hard it was a very difficult time and I was like when are things going back to normal and he could just continue to say that each year would get harder and harder and ultimately this was building to the pinnacle year of 2020 and 2021 the great awakening here we are (laughs) so it's funny I actually have an email that I wrote to my landlord last fall. It's dated October 21st, 2019. In regards to them hiking my rent up 10%, oh my God, about fell out of my chair because after doing research, I discovered that on average rent increases only went up three to 5%. And this was across the country, including New York City. But according to my landlord, she was like, oh, well, we've had a healthy 10% increase over the past five years. So... Like, now is no different. I mean, our economy is healthier than ever. And when I replied to her in this email, I said to her, we are upon a great recession and it will be happening in the spring of 2020 and that a 10% increase could be impossible to meet if income was tight. Well, what the hell do I know? I'm just the weirdo with the tinfoil on my head running up and down the streets, right? (laughs) So here we are. My question to all of you is how are you doing? I know I've been affected by this as I'm sure all of you have. 
real estate has completely shut down. It was ordered to, to be shut down. Like we're not allowed to have open houses. We're not allowed, unless there was already a deal that was in progress, uh, we're not allowed to proceed with, you know, buyers and sellers or any of that. Everything has been completely shut down. And so has interior design because shipments can't come in. All the shipping ports have been closed down. And because everybody's being furloughed and, and told to be, you know, stay at home to be safe, you know, nobody's working. So many of my friends and clients have lost their jobs uh, due to being, uh, you know, told to stay at home. And so everyone in some form or fashion is being affected by this. And here's the thing. These are extreme times and I know that they are scary. I know that you, uh, all of you are probably unsure of what's happening and, you know, it's just pure uncertainty, not knowing what's going to happen each day. But, you know, if you're like me, hello, inner introvert, being told to stay home is like my dream come true. But if you're not an introvert, I know that many of you are going stir crazy. You've got cabin fever. You're full of angst. A lot of my friends are extroverts and they are dying because here in Nashville, a lot of our schools closed two weeks ago. So a lot of my friends have already been sequestered at home for the last two weeks. And now they're saying that they're not going to open schools back up. So that means that they're going to be home for another probably four weeks. So, you know, for an extrovert who likes to go outside, likes to have, you know, outside stimulation, things like that, I can understand how this could be really hard. So here is my PSA for all of you. First and foremost, stay calm as you know, possible. I know that's hard. I know it's really easy to say, oh, just stay calm. You know, if you're bouncing off the walls, I can understand how that would be hard. But lean into this time. We're experiencing great, great change for a reason. This is the universal reset button to force all of us out of that frenetic, chaotic world that we've been living in. You know, the pushing, the striving, that we've got to be busier. We've got to finish our to-do list. Go, go, go. Slow down. Go inward. By June, a massive awakening will be occurring. And by the time we get through this summer and into the fall, here's the thing. Our reality will no longer look like it once did. The quote unquote going back to normal that I keep seeing people talk about on Facebook doesn't exist. We will never revisit those times again. So for those of you that, you know, love your comfort zones, uh, hello, my own mother, and hates change, uh, hello, my mother, this is going to affect you the most. But know that everything is okay. And you may not want to hear this, but you chose to be here during this great awakening. You actually signed up to be here and incarnate during this time. So the more of us that we can stay calm, hold space for raising the vibration of others, remember, we're all one. So right now, you know, you may feel anxiety, you may feel fearful. Think about this. I feel like a damn HEPA filter right now for the world. Because I'm feeling fear and anxiety and nausea and headaches and joint pain but it's not mine. I know that I'm filtering mass consciousness. So if you're feeling those same emotions, you know, lean into it. Are they yours or are you acting as a HEPA filter as well? Because remember, we're all connected. So the calmer that you stay, 
the healthier you'll be, the healthier you'll feel. So utilize this time to focus on your inner world and get things straight because our world is changing at a rapid pace. It's so crazy. Today's show was only recorded three weeks ago and already so much has changed since Gray and I recorded. I mean, heck, several years ago, I could record a show two to three months in advance and it wouldn't have much difference, you know, uh, in the content. Nothing would have really changed, even if we had talked about, you know, specific uh, timeframes in the show. But holy heck, three weeks ago feels like six months ago in regards to how much things have changed and how much things have escalated since we recorded. So today's show is furthering the conversation about 2020s astrology. I feel like this is so important. It's why I wanted Gray to come on. And more importantly, how your personal astrology plays into the bigger picture. I had Gray as an example, just so that you could see and hear the differences. I had Gray look into our personal charts. So his chart and my chart to compare how the astrology of 2020 is affecting us differently. And I wanted to do this because comparison is the thief of joy. You may be looking at others right now and thinking they are sailing through this process and that their life doesn't seem that hard and it's amazing and like you're over here going, oh my God, I can barely survive. But as I learned in today's show, in addition to going through 2020 with all of y'all, I am simultaneously going through what's called the Uranus opposition. I'd never even heard of this term. I've heard of the Saturn return, but I didn't know about a Uranus opposition. And apparently, this is severe restriction, major challenges, and midlife crisis. Oh, way to nail it, Amanda. So obviously, my experience in 2020 is meant to squeeze me to the bone, and it's going to be much harsher than others around me. And this is key to understand when times are turbulent as they are. A lot of my very, very close dear friends are not going through the same shit show that I am because I'm simultaneously doing an opposition. And just look it up on Google. Just type in Uranus opposition. Holy hell. I mean, it would be hard enough in a normal year to go through that. But I get the, the benefit of going through it in addition to 2020. I mean, man, way to go big or go home. <laughs> So I also want to mention that I'm going to try to put up a weekly show for the next month just to help all of you. You know, I know that you're struggling and, and I'm hoping that by doing a weekly show again, it will help you get through this. And I've got some great tools and interviews that I think can help all of you through this challenging time. And, you know, I should mention if there's something in particular that you want to know, if there's something in particular that you're struggling with, you know, if there's something that you want me to talk about, just email me at letschat at thegatescompany.com and let me know. And I also want to say, uh, I'm also going to uh, put two of my online courses on sale. Uh, since so many of you are stuck at home and, you know, uh, you may be looking around your houses going, you know, what can I do? What, what can I do during this time to really improve my space? I'm going to put how to remove negative energy uh, from your home on sale. And I'm also putting Feng Shui 101 basics on sale. Those will both be 25% off. So if you go to uh, the website, interiorvibes.com, just click on the courses button, and you'll be able to go to those and purchase. So today's show Gray and I will be talking about this year's astrology. Uh, 
the energies that are coming in and how your personal astrology plays a big role and how all of this plays out for you individually. So if you're curious about knowing how this year is going to affect you personally, you want to connect with an astrologer that can help. Alrighty, are you ready? Hell yeah, let's do this. Hey, Gray, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's really nice to be here. I'm uh, exciting. I, I think that this is going to be exciting because one of my uh, dear friends is named Gray and he's absolutely extraordinary. So I know that this is going to be an extraordinary show. Oh, cool. <laughs> Great way to set you up, right? Yeah, I don't uh, really need people named Gray. <laughs> it's yeah it's an unusual it's an unusual name i actually have a friend named gray and i have a friend named dallas so two unusual people and actually my my friend who my other friend who's an astrologer is named sharita which i think is a sharita star which is an interesting name um oh. so i'm super excited to have you on the show today we're going to do something a little bit different today which i'm excited for the listeners to hear um i've had uh, an astrologer come on and talk about you know, the year of 2020 and how it's about great change. So I, I definitely want to get into that a little bit, but something that we're going to do a little bit different is we're going to share with the listeners today. Um, Gray is going to look at my chart and his own chart and just kind of give us a, an idea of how there's always an overarching theme each year, but it can look very different individually, which I think really shows the customization of astrology, which I think is going to be fun. But before we really dive into the nuts and bolts, I just want to back up a little bit and I want you to catch us up to speed because as I was doing research on you, you've done a lot of, you've worked under a lot of uh, amazing astrologers and I'm curious, how did you get into astrology? Like what drew you into it? Well, I, it was more when I was younger, um, you know, like a lot of people, I would see horoscopes and sun sign horoscopes. And because I'm actually very Pisces, um, when I would read about Pisces, I would actually often relate to it. I have a sun, Jupiter, and Mercury in Pisces, and I'm Gemini rising. So um, the Mercury in Pisces, and my moon's in Gemini. So the Mercury in uh, Pisces, you know, brings in my moon and my rising sign as well, in, in addition to my sun being Pisces. So that was something where not everybody actually does, I think, identify as much with their sun sign and the horoscopes may not resonate as much. Um, and then when I was younger, especially like in college, I came across just some people that actually had some astrology books. And I just thought it was kind of interesting. And there was like a birthday book my girlfriend had that um, I got kind of into like looking at people's birthdays and it was using like the decans also, which is like a, one of the um, dignities of astrology that I now actually utilize in my practice. Um, but it wasn't really, and I just thought it was kind of interesting. Um, but it was when I actually finally had a conversation with somebody that told me that there was such a thing as a birth chart because I really didn't know much about astrology beyond the fact that you have like a sun sign and that was interesting to me but um yeah this I was like I was like at this party and this woman's like oh what's your moon and rising sign you know I was like what are you talking about and they're like oh you have a birth chart you have all these plants and these different signs and it sort of just 
it suddenly kind of hit me like what astrology actually was right in that moment. And I went out to get a book as soon as I could. One of those, like everything you need to know about astrology. <laughs> yeah. And then just um, tried to calculate my chart and I had it off a little bit. Didn't really calculate that right. But you know, then I could find there's stuff like astro.com where you can calculate your chart for free and get some information. Yeah. And I've just never, since that time, it's just sort of been a nonstop pursuit of mine. That's never, it's just kind of always um, increased. And it's, it's a type of thing where I think, especially earlier on, if you're learning astrology, the people that kind of take to it, you start thinking you kind of know it pretty well, but then pretty soon you kind of realize there's this much greater level to it sort of expanse that um, I don't think anybody really ever finishes learning about you know it's one of those fields where you can just pretty much continually keep learning more and more things and kind of deepening into your understanding I think feng shui is like that you know I think a lot of the information that's out there very much like the sun signs it's, it can be quite surfacy and it's you know I've been taught since I've been working with my teachers that it's a mini lifetime education, like there's layers upon layers upon layers. And so you can never stop learning the information, which absolutely resonates with me as far as astrology goes, because I mean, I find it really confusing. We were just talking before the show and like, I've read books and I can't, I can't keep any of it. It just does not click in my brain at all. But one thing that I do have a question about, and I've always been curious about this, is that, and I don't know how to formulate this question, but I think the way that I want to word it is, you know, how much does fate and destiny play a role in our lives as far as astrology goes, as opposed to free will? Like, how does free will fit into this? Because I feel like, you know, I've, I've been reading the biography of Sally Field and I find it so fascinating because she's riddled with fear and she's very timid and she's kind of checked out when it comes to reality. And she just seems like she's really vibrating at a lower level because she's just so scared of everything and she's so riddled with doubt. And yet, you know, her career at 18, well, I think she got Gidget when she was 17 years old, but everything just kind of fell into her lap. So that to me screams destiny. I mean, she was, that is what she signed up for. That is what she meant to do, as opposed to somebody who is struggling and striving and trying to become an actor, you know, and maybe at 40 years old, they still haven't hit it yet, but they're trying. So in your opinion, how much, you know, do the stars, I feel like in a lot of ways, the stars are a great way to kind of look at our personal book of, you know, what we're here to do and what our destiny is. And, and we have a little bit of free will, but how much do we really have? Well, Amanda, that's definitely um, the question about astrology that is of great debate. I mean, it's been a debate for centuries you know ages actually and it's definitely a very big debate currently in astrology um, especially now because in the 20th century um, especially in american or western culture which became totally disconnected from their tradition due to just not having the texts and um 
you know, versus um, a form of astrology practiced in India, where they, India has a living tradition that was able to survive and be passed down. And you probably know that tradition definitely involves a strong component of uh, fate and destiny. And the uh, 20th century type of, um, when the, the way astrology kind of came together again in the 20th century, there definitely became much more of an emphasis on free will. Um, and that a lot of stuff that happens to you sort of in a similar way, somewhat, I mean, it's a bit of an ex exaggeration, but the way people talk about like the law of attraction and, you know, how much are you really uh, manifesting what you want with your consciousness and that that's even kind of how astrology works in a lot of ways. Um, and that there became a much more of an emphasis on free will. And I think that's certainly the case in America because American culture is so much about, you know, literally like manifest destiny and, you know, what you want to have happen, making it happen and that kind of thing, you know? So, um, but what's happened since, especially since the early 1990s, is that there's been a great recovery of um, older forms of astrology. So, and especially in the Western tradition. So, especially coming out of the um, Hellenistic period, which basically brought together, yes, yeah, some, in the, like out of Alexander the Great's, you know, conquest, bringing in some strands of India, uh, you know, Mesopotamia, Egypt, Greek culture. And this form of astrology definitely has a very strong component that is uh, related to your fate and that you have a destiny and makes having the idea of having complete free will is not really there. Um, and so because this material is being pulled forward now and a lot of people are now having time to actually work with it, especially in the last like few decades and start to get more of a feel for how that kind of works with our culture. There's definitely been, it creates a lot of debates in the astrology community between people who want to emphasize free will versus people that want to emphasize, you know, you don't have complete free will. Um, the way, I mean, it's hard, a hard question to answer. I definitely see that we do have some sort of destiny and there is some sort of fadedness and fate that we do actually have to contend with. I personally do not believe that everything is completely predetermined. Um, that's one thing that I, I don't think everything's predetermined. And um, so I do think there is a degree of free will going on. I don't know if free will is really the right way to describe it, but there is, there's certainly the ability that we have to um, respond to what's happening in our life um, you know, reflect on what's going on in our life. Um, I don't think just because you're able to reflect on what's going on in your life and sort of have your own inner work and development that that's completely predetermined based on your chart that you're going to do that. I, I don't think that's totally predetermined in that way. Some people do think, I think, more like that. Um, I personally don't. Um, but it's a complex question because definitely there's stuff that we kind of associate with thinking us is all us and us doing this. Like, like you're saying somebody who's very successful is probably thinking that's all of them creating that. 
But um, astrology would definitely say, no, it's not all about you doing that. There's definitely this um, pattern, you know, there's, there's some sort of form of destiny and fate that's going on. And so, for example, I also think everybody doesn't necessarily step in and fully claim their destiny either. Um, and I think even there's nuances of how to even talk about destiny versus fate. Um, but I do see, <laughs> I don't want to ramble about this too much, but um, I, I definitely see that there is a, there's clearly to me, yes, yeah, some kind of destiny fate component that you do have to deal with and everything is, it's not all complete free will. Yeah, I really agree. I mean, I've been working on a show. I've been trying to formulate it in my head and I've been working on this for probably over a year. And I'm really conflicted because as I told you before we started the show, I have many friends that are astrologers and it's like on one hand, our culture has really embraced this idea of law of attraction. And that's actually what I've been kind of putting the show around is the idea of law of attraction. And is it real or is it completely made up? And it's like, yeah, I think that we do have a little bit of play as far as um, some wiggle room, I guess is a better way to, to put that. But it seems like when I have a period in my life where I suddenly start, you know, like I'm writing two books right now and, and I've actually been on pause a little bit with those because I've been super busy, but it seems like when I take a pause or when I start writing or when I start doing something, it's like my friends who are astrologers are like, yeah, your blah, blah, blah is here and it's in this house and it's, you know, cusping this and, you know, all the fancy language y'all use that I don't understand. <laughs> and it's like, I always find myself going, huh? And here I thought, you know, I was being revolutionary because I decided to start writing a book or take pause or suddenly spontaneously go on a trip and they're like, oh yeah, I see that in your chart. And it's like, huh, you know, so how much control do I really have? I, I really feel like we do have a predetermined contract, so to speak. And I feel like we're, we're coming here with a set of tools, like a deck of cards that are tools to help us with our life purpose and, and whatever it is that we're, you know, setting out to do while we're here. And I kind of feel like, you know, it's written in the stars. It's like training wheels to kind of keep us on track. And, you know, like you said, we could really go crazy and, and, and go at a hundred percent and, and really match up with it. Or maybe we only put 30%. I feel like we have control in how much we put into it, but I don't know, like if I decide tomorrow, you know what, I want to be an actor and I'm going to put it on my law of attraction board and I'm going to attract it and I'm going to become an actor. I just don't feel like I can, you know, it's too far fetched. I just don't know. That's where I kind of feel conflicted where I feel like, I don't think that's in my chart. I don't think that's my destiny. Yeah. So and I, I don't want to, I don't want to totally discount like, so, so, so for example, like the movie, like the secret, um, which I'm sure you've talked about on your show, you know, there's parts about that show and that concept, that movie or book, you could certainly critique. Um, however, they're actually really there actually is truth to that at the same time. And people really can change their lives by changing the way they think about things and how they're using their mind. Um, I definitely don't mean to discount that either. Um, but 
there are certain, I mean, astrology does suggest that there are certain events in your life that are, are, are happening that it's not really about, you know, someone, your um, sister tragically dies, was not you attracting that by the law of attraction. It was actually, there's a specific thing in your astrology chart that actually shows that, for example. Yeah. So it's, there's, there's, yeah, there's just definitely more nuance to it. And I agree. I, I think that, you know, one of the things that I always say on this show is to cultivate your chi and, you know, that's self-care. It's meditation, getting outside, connecting, you know, uh, with your higher self and, and with the divine. And part of that is, I, I don't think that that's going to change your destiny, but I think it better helps you to align with it and it helps you change your perspective. So I think that plays a huge role as far as the way that you're thinking you know, if you're thinking negative thoughts, you're going to attract more of the, the negative things in your experience. And if you're focusing more on positive things and feeling uplifted, you're going, your perspective is going to see more and experience more positive things. But I have really, I, I find it fascinating that my friends who are in astrology, like I said, every time I think I'm, you know, going rogue and doing something that, you know, I think is revolutionary, it's like, nope, it's right here in your chart. <laughs> I mean, yeah, even people that get more into astrology, that's, it's natural that they start doing what you're talking about, which is, there's a, definitely a form of still people trying to create what they want to have happen but also at other times accepting things that they see that are happening because they can also see, oh, this is in my chart. And like you're saying, then there's certain like remedial types of things you could be doing to help you accept and deal with that difficult experience. Yeah. Step into the flow, so to speak of it. Um, I find it fascinating. I, I think it, it's really fantastic that we have the ability to, uh, have people like you that can interpret and understand the blue. We literally come here with blueprints and that's what I really see uh, natal charts as. And these astrology charts really help us to understand, you know, what we're here for, uh, what we're going to be good at, you know, how we're, we're best going to serve uh, humanity and you can fight it or you can flow with it. So, you know, I think that that's one of the beauties of, um, really not not understanding it i've tried to understand it and learn it myself but knowing and being aware that it exists and being open to the idea that you may not need to be an actor you know maybe you're supposed to serve in other ways type thing and being okay with it right so i'm curious you know you've shared with us how you got into astrology you've been doing it for many years now what has been the most fascinating thing you know about astrology to you i mean clearly you've got a passion for it you continue to learn you've got a huge thirst for it you know what has really you know what has been that thing that has drawn you into more and more education and and want you know really grabbing that thirst for it i think sort of a combination of what we've been talking about which is that on one hand there can be really um, difficult experiences people have had in their life and that um, especially before you really know anything about astrology, you could look back at something that happened and you can actually see oftentimes how that's connected um, to the astrology. Um, and so there's something about that, which um, in a larger picture can often help people 
come to more um, understanding about those experiences. And as far as the part about, you know, um, you know, there's, there's a sense of like, I think even just the language, like someone like claiming their destiny sounds more positive than feeling like you're the victim of fate. Mm. Um, and so in terms of actually helping people, you know, do more of what they want to do um, with their life, which tends to, when you get to the heart of what that really is for the person, it, it, it tends to actually kind of line up with what their astrology is really suggesting they would also be really good at. Um, and so helping them see that and helping them um, connect with that purpose, you know, that it's, it's um, that's probably the thing that's um, makes me most excited about it. Do you ever get like surprised or like, you know, you've been doing it for so long at this point. I, I think it's one of the things that I love about feng shui so much is even though I've been doing it for 20 plus years, there are still floor plans that I read and I'm like, oh my God, you know, like, but that's what makes me hungry for it because, you know, I feel like I'm learning something new every day and it, there's still surprises. Do you experience that with astrology? Yeah, astrology is, is definitely like that. Yeah, because um, people can have, I mean, most people, unless they're born at the exact same time in the exact same place, they're not, you know, they're not going to have the same chart anyway. So the charts tend to be really different, but you'll, you'll also see people work with certain aspects of a chart in different ways, kind of depending on, you know, a lot of different factors. So yeah, it's, it's always interesting and there's always constantly new things you're learning. Yeah. I think that that's one of the, the greatest things about, you know, when you really get into an esoteric modality is that there are so many different avenues and there's, it's, there's so many layers to it. And I, I think in our culture, we've really lost the beauty of everything because we're so accustomed to instant gratification and we don't want to wait for anything. And, you know, we, we get the surface of everything and we're good. That's good enough. That's like, we don't need to go any further. We're an expert now. <laughs> mm -hmm. But I think when you really can get into the depth of something and really, really learn it and really, you know, glean the knowledge and the wisdom of it. Um, I, to me, it gets really exciting. Sometimes I feel like a three-year-old in a candy store. I'm just like, oh my God, this is so amazing. And I, you know, even after 20 years, I can still experience that excitement, which I think is what makes it fun. And, you know, I often wonder like somebody who's sitting in a cubicle, who's been doing the same job for 20 years, do they still feel this kind of excitement? Probably not. <laughs> so before we dive in, like I said at the top of the show, I talked about what we're going to do today. We're going to, uh, Gray's going to compare our charts. But before we dive into that, Gray, I just wanted you to give us a little bit of a synopsis uh, from your point of view of what 2020, astrologically speaking, is all about and what are some overarching themes that we're going to see. Yeah, it's, I think you had mentioned this at the beginning, um, but it's, it's a year of, of really incredible change. Um, there are certain ways to look at some of the cycles happening that, there, that there's re really even a bigger, like kind of epochal type of change going on. And I know some people probably listening have probably heard astrologers say stuff like that a lot. And it sounds like hyperbole, but this particular year actually really is um, that way. There hasn't been um, a year in astrology like this in a really long time. Um, 
definitely not in the past um, in the past decade. Um, and one of the things that's going on this year, are there are there are a lot of um, outer planets coming together and ending old cycles together and forming new cycles together. So that's one thing um, people that don't follow astrology as closely. Um, you know, you're, you're probably at least familiar with like the moon and the moon phases. So when we're just paying attention to the sun and the moon, you know, every month, uh, we get a new moon, you know, right now we're in a waning moon. It's, it's uh, waning in light. We're going to have a dark moon pretty soon. And, uh, in a few days, we're going to have a new moon in Pisces. And the new moon is when the sun and the moon come together. Um, and we're talking about the sun, the sun actually, because it's like the light, it, it very much sort of regenerates whatever is coming into contact with it. So it's sort of like the, the moon is sort of like dying and being reborn, um, you know, into visible, being seated into another cycle of light. Um, and then, you know, there's, as the moon moves away from the sun, you know, we get like a, a first quarter uh, waxing square. When we see the moon, it's like half light, half dark. It's forming a square to the sun. When we get a full moon, the moon is exactly opposite the sun and full of light. And then it comes around again. Um, and, and so you, you can do that with the sun, with everything. But you can also do that like planet to planet. And when you're talking about um, like the outer planets, which are a lot slower. So um, that'd be everything like outside our orbit. So um, Mars is like outside our orbit, but especially when you get to like Jupiter and Saturn, um, Uranus, um, Neptune, and Pluto. Um, Pluto has now been uh, declassified as a, demoted in a way to being a dwarf planet. Mm -hmm. But I am somebody that still works with Pluto, um, even though it's not astronomically considered to be a planet anymore. But the, with these with these planets, there's a lot of of them coming together, ending and ending a cycle and, and starting a new cycle. And we haven't actually had that um, in a really long time. The last time before this year we had that was like in 2010. It was like Jupiter and Uranus um, coming together. So um, the two planets that throughout the history of astrology, um, going far back in time um that were particularly always paid attention to were, were Jupiter and Saturn. Of course, Jupiter and Saturn used to be the two most outer planets. We they in the past people didn't even know that Uranus and Neptune existed. So Saturn's meaning in astrology is very much all about it being, you know, the most outer, far out, slowest moving um planet. And so whenever um, Jupiter and Saturn come together in a conjunction, they come together in the same place, same degree of the zodiac. That's always been seen for a long time as being a very important um, new cycle. Um, and it takes about 20 years or so roughly for Jupiter and Saturn to go all the way around and form a new cycle, which means every 10 years or about every decade, we'll have a Jupiter-Saturn opposition where they're opposite one another, you know, just like in a full moon, the moon and the sun are opposite one another. Um, and for a while now, all through the 20th century, actually, we were getting, um, it ended up lining up with the Gregorian calendar so that 
like in 1900, there was a Jupiter um, Saturn uh, conjunction. In the year 2000, there was a Jupiter Saturn conjunction. In the year 2010, there was a Jupiter Saturn opposition. Um, in the year like 1980, 81, um, there was a Jupiter Saturn conjunction. So that also then like in 1960, 61, there was a Jupiter Saturn conjunction. Um, and the thing that's interesting is these Jupiter Saturn conjunctions, which sort of define um, periods of time. So you can think about, you know, what kind of collective change came in at the year 2000? Um, what collective change came in in the 1980s? You know, what came in at the 1960s? What came in in the 1940s and 1920s? You know, you can keep going that back with that. And you can sort of get up somewhat of a picture of Jupiter and Saturn and how that often defines these eras. But in an even bigger picture, they form these conjunctions where they will stay in the same astrological element for um, 200 years. And so this actually creates these like larger cycles where Jupiter and Saturn are coming together in the same element. Um, and this is actually a one part where it gets a little technical and tricky, the way this is calculated. Um, before like computers and people were doing these mathematical calculations, they would use this um, mean calculation, which was sort of based on the average movement of Jupiter and Saturn. And when you do that, this 200-year pattern I'm talking about is a little bit neater. But um, you know, we're, we can tell today like where they actually are in the sky. So we're using more like where they are in the tropical zodiac, um, which is different than like the sidereal zodiac, by the way. That's a whole nother. That's like where they are in this. That's I don't. Let me not go into that right now. But anyway, so in 1802, there is a Jupiter-Saturn conjunction in Virgo. And so after, so you can think about the start of the 1800s, we went into this 200 year cycle of Jupiter and Saturn coming together in earth signs. Um, and since that time, you can think about how there was, there was already obviously um, revolutions going on, like the, the American Revolution, French Revolution happened before that. There was already a lot of like colonialism going on, but you can think of since the 1800s, you know, the Industrial Revolution, um, as well as these colonial empires just really expanding. There is already being use of like natural resources, but like the, using the earth for like natural resources, you know, really um, expanded. Um, you know, 1900, there's another one. And I think it's around that time where we start getting these um, much larger corporations, you know, being formed based on like oil and coal and so on. So um, the part where that calculation I mentioned gets a little tricky, like in 1980-81, there is actually a Jupiter-Saturn conjunction in Libra when we're using like where it actually happened. However, if we were using the mean calculation, it would have been still an earth sign. And then in the year 2000, if we were using that mean calculation that the ancient people did that was based on the average motion that would have actually been in Gemini. But if we're just using the, the tropical zodiac where it's actually happening, that was actually in Taurus. So 2000 in some ways you could say was sort of, that was like the first mean in air, but it was actually still on earth when we're using just like where it is with, with computers and the, the way we do astrology now. So 2020 is the first time 
that we're going to have a Jupiter-Saturn conjunction in an air sign in both that older idea of calculating them as well as the um, normal way we, we do it now. And so we are, we are this is the year 2020, this, this won't actually happen until the very, very end of the year in uh, December, actually on, a, on the winter solstice in the Northern Hemisphere. We're gonna have a Jupiter and Saturn conjunction at the very beginning of Aquarius. And this firmly establishes us within this 200 year cycle of having these happen in air signs. So on an elemental um, level, which I'm sure you could connect with feng shui in some ways, we're leaving this 200 year era of earth and we're entering this era of air. So that is one of the, the most fundamental, that's like the larger picture of, of it being this kind of more epochal kind of shift of this, this much larger picture moving from earth into air. And so for most of the year, um, Saturn is at the end of Capricorn and uh, Jupiter is also in Capricorn. So Jupiter and Saturn are, are closing down their cycle for most of the year, which is sort of similar to when we have like a dark moon. It's sort of like a dark moon between Jupiter and Saturn. They're closing down this old cycle, but it's not just that they're closing down this past 20 year cycle. We could really think like this whole 200 year cycle of Earth, all these like historical collective themes since like the 1800s, all kind of coming to a close. Not like they're all gonna end, but there's definitely this kind of larger picture of, of change with that. And we're entering this air era, which you could say, you know, going back to 1980 with that first tropical one, we had personal computers invented. In 2000, when the mean one came in, that was, you know, the internet was, was really taking off in a much bigger way then. You know, the internet is obviously um, this new reality that's very much part of this entering this air era and on all the issues that come along with that. So that's one of, that's like kind of like the much bigger thing going on. But then there's also inside of that, um, back in the very beginning of January, we had a Saturn-Pluto conjunction. Um, Saturn-Pluto is, is another big cycle. We actually had not had a, a Saturn-Pluto conjunction since also the early 1980s. That was in Libra, like in 83 or so, 82-83. Um, and that's a very major cycle also that, that came to a close um, and began a new cycle in January. Right now, we're also having Jupiter and Pluto come together. Jupiter and Pluto, they don't, that's not as big of a cycle as, as Saturn-Pluto, but it's another one where Jupiter and Pluto are also ending a cycle right now, beginning a cycle. Um, and then on top of that, there's a bunch of other things happening this year. Um, the things that affect you, as well as me actually a lot, will be a Venus retrograde in Gemini. Um, followed by a Mars retrograde in Aries. Um, the Mars retrograde in Aries, which will come in uh, September, and we can talk more about this. This one's very catalytic because it ends up forming a square, which is sort of the most catalyzing, tense, heart, um, kind of change-inducing type of aspect in astrology. Um, it's going to form that square with Saturn, Jupiter, and Pluto. Um, and that's going to be happening all kind of from like September into November of, the, of this year. 
Um, but when you kind of take all these things together, it, it really shows that we're, we're collectively having these really old um, issues about our civilizations all kind of coming up. And they're kind of all coming up and, you know, getting in our face. And there's a lot of, you know, sort of ghosts of the past and these past issues all being stirred up um, for us to deal with. And there's sort of, it's kind of that sense where you can kind of feel like there's something new, you know, potentially coming and changing, but we're not, you know, we're kind of, we're kind of at that period where it's kind of all coming to a close right now, more so than we're not really at the beginning of it yet, if that makes sense. Yeah. And so this is why at the top of the show, when I was talking about how I wanted to do this a little bit differently is, you know, it, in a lot of ways, I think there are a lot of people that don't embrace change. It can present itself as being very scary, very fearful uh, to hear that things are coming to a close and it's no longer business as usual. I know that I'm experiencing this. Um, you know, things have, have definitely felt extremely restricted in my world. Um, but I really wanted people to understand that it doesn't have to be scary. And that's why I asked Gray to look at our charts together because our charts are entirely different. As we were talking about a minute ago, we, you know, he and I both came in with completely different blueprints. Our houses are built totally different. And so I wanted him to do a comparison just so that you, the listeners can see it totally depends on, we've got this overarching theme of major change. It sounds like we're also going to experience some innovation, maybe some changes in paradigms, you know, whether that's in health, money, um, maybe uh, government, whatever it is, but you personally may be affected in different ways. So Gray, tell us what this looks like for you and I, how, how are the, how is this year different for you and I? Well, I mean, one of the things, um, so I guess a couple of things to do is to um, look at where um, you have your, the angles of your chart. So as far in terms of what's your ascendant or what's your first house, you know, what's your seventh house, what's your 10th uh, house and your fourth house, like these houses that are, um, in astrology, they're considered angular. And when things are hitting these points in your chart or these signs that are at those angles, um, those are points that are just a lot more busy and active. And if you have things there, you kind of know that you're going to be, whatever the thing that we're talking about is, it's just going to be impacting you much more strongly. Um, same thing, like you might have certain planets like your moon or your sun or Venus, Mercury um, or Mars, which are all kind of a little bit planets that are things that are a little bit more personal um, in the areas of some of these things we're talking about. And if you have the, one of those planets there, you're also going to be feeling, feeling this a lot more. So one, one really basic thing would be to think about, and this doesn't really relate so much to you and me, is um, where you have Capricorn. So um, some people might have, they might be Capricorn rising, they might have a Capricorn moon, they might have a Capricorn Venus, or a Capricorn Mercury, or a Capricorn Midheaven. 
Um, and not just Capricorn, but you can also think about Cancer, Libra, and Aries. If you have um, important points, you know, in Cancer, Capricorn, Libra, or Aries, or personal planets that are really important in those areas, you're going to be much more impacted by the combination of Saturn and Pluto and Jupiter and the south node of the moon and Capricorn. Um, especially in the past year because we've also been having eclipses happening in Cancer and Capricorn. Um, and so people that have those, those placements and especially, you know, stuff in around 20 degrees of Capricorn or Cancer, Aries, Libra, you know, 20 degrees to like 25 degrees or so. That's the area where Saturn and uh, Pluto came together and also the area where Jupiter and Pluto are going to be coming together. So, and that part is definitely with all this strong Capricorn energy, there is some uh, contraction like you're talking about where um, there's, there's some, there is some sort of inevitable, a little bit of resistance and having to work with sort of somewhat the way things are. But the, the other thing about that is Capricorn is actually also um, capable. It's, it's actually a pretty visionary sign and imaginative and can be very stoic in the face of, you know, restraint and restriction and can really bring in and reshape and reforge something very powerful and, and very enduring. So that's another quality that people that might have that emphasis on those signs um, being really impacted. Um, for you and me, we're not getting that quite as strong as some other people. Um, Thank although God. You, you're getting it a little bit more than I am because um, so you are a Virgo rising um, and I'm Gemini rising. So both of us, one thing that we both have in common is we have Mercury ruling our ascendant. Um, whatever planet you have ruling your ascendant is very important. Um, there's an ancient sort of symbol of looking at the chart as sort of like a ship and, you know, the ascendant sort of being like the steering wheel and the ruler of the ascendant is sort of like guiding your ship in a way. So it's an important planet because it rules your first house. So that's another thing, you know, when we're talking about these things is thinking about not just your rising sign, but where did, where's the planet that rule rules your rising sign and where is that located? Um, for you, because you're Virgo rising and you're like, you know, early 20 degrees Virgo, you do have all this Jupiter, Saturn, Pluto um, forming a trine to your ascendant. Um, and it's in your fifth house. So for you, I mean, you, just based on your rising sign, um, you also have a lot of Scorpio, which is forming a, a sextile with that Capricorn. You're an example of somebody that it's actually coming into your chart pretty good. I mean, that's I not know. a, you're not having it in a, in a really, in a harsh way like some other people would. I um, bet it's different. Yeah. <laughs> right. oh, go ahead. Yeah, I'm so, me being Gemini rising, I mean, I don't know what your experience is with that, you know, fifth house for you. Um, it could definitely be like children, but also sort of your creative passions, you know, kind of passions in general. Um, sometimes fifth house can be kind of romantic passions too, but um, definitely kind of like creative passions for sure. 
um, and how you express that. For me, being Gemini rising, it's been in my eighth house. So that's been um, very much about like me and like other people's money. Um, it's just definitely involved a f financial component, um, you know, having a partner and having some finances combined with them. Um, there's some more of the kind of, I guess, inner kind of eighth house work that I've been um, working with. Um, and what does eighth house represent? Eighth house, yeah, eighth house can represent um, other people's money, um, certainly the taxes and stuff, but also like um, if you're gonna get grants or have other people giving you money or supporting you in some way or like your, the money of your partner can also be eighth house. But the eighth house is also, it's, um, it's not forming a major aspect to the first house. So that's where, you know, it's associated with death actually. Um, but it's also associated with sort of hidden things and some deeper kind of unconscious, subconscious material. Um, for me, it's definitely involved some of that type of work and also even doing some, um, getting more of a practice of working with my ancestors, which was not something I did before having this transit of all these things coming together there in the eighth house. So um, would that be the theme then? Like, it sounds like, and I could be wrong, but it sounds like maybe my theme is, you know, because I guess something's happening in my fifth house, which I should mm -hmm. probably ask you what fifth house is. You said children and something else. Um, yeah, like a creative passion, like you're kind of like a, what you really want to do, what you're excited about, what you're passionate about, what you really want to create. All those so would that be the theme for me with all of this stuff that's going on in the 2020 astrology? Is that what I'm working on right now or for the year? And you too. Yeah, that's been going on. That's where the Capricorn emphasis is. Like when you were saying the uh, feeling the restriction, that's the, the part that I think that really goes with like the restriction people are feeling is the heavy emphasis on Capricorn with Saturn in Capricorn combined with Pluto in Capricorn and Jupiter in Capricorn. Um, and so you might be feeling some restriction around those areas too, but it's, it's sort of like a, I think that like that Capricorn thing, it, it puts a lot of pressure on things and it kind of makes you really hone in on also, I think, really what you want to do. Um, and right now it's even more potent because Mars just, I mean, just as we're talking right now, this is only a temporary transit that's going to be going on in the next um, month or so, month and a half is Mars is in Capricorn. So right now, as we're talking, we have Mars in Capricorn, the South node in Capricorn, Jupiter in Capricorn, Pluto in Capricorn, Saturn in Capricorn. And actually, as we're talking right now, the moon is in Capricorn. Good Lord. But it's just like a huge emphasis on Capricorn. Um, and so, you know, all of last year we had Jupiter, I mean, Pluto and Saturn in Capricorn. And then this year, um, starting in like um, December Jup of last year, Jupiter came in. So now we have not just Saturn, Pluto, now it's Jupiter, Saturn, Pluto um, with the South Node of the Moon. And now we have Mars joining them too right now. It's a party. Yeah, so with with that part, um, I mean, I don't know if, if you've had anything like that with, with regard to, um, I mean, if, with not ch if, if it's not children, whatever, you sort of 
I mean, sort of the idea when we're talking about destiny, even like sort of like I can think of the fifth house in some ways, even as like your sort of creative destiny that you really, you're really passionate about and you really want to um, have this thing happen in your life. That can, that can be a fifth house thing. It can also just be kind of pleasure and fun types of recreational things. Also, I think I feel more lost than anything. I feel okay. like um, the restriction is wearing me out. I'm getting frustrated. Um, and I keep cursing 2020 because I know that all this crap is going on in Capricorn. And I know that means far more to you than me. I'm just like, everybody needs to leave Capricorn. <laughs> um, but I, I, to me, I feel a little bit more lost than ever. Um, because I feel like, you know, I just want things to be simple and I feel like things are getting more complicated. I definitely feel pressure and I feel like a pressure cooker would be probably a really great example. And where I once felt like, okay, absolutely, this is the direction I want to go. I want it to be 100%, say, feng shui. Uh, I don't want to do interior design anymore. Um, I'm kind of all over the place where I'm like, I don't even know if I want to do that anymore. Like, I'm just, mm -hmm. I'm tired of everything. I just want things to be simple. I just, you know, I want to go to work and make a little money and be able to pay my rent and be done with it. That's kind of where I'm at. And I've never been in this position before where I've been kind of like, screw it all, I don't care anymore. Well, you have another thing going on in your chart that's kind of takes precedence over all of this, which is that you are entering your um, Uranus opposition right now, which I've actually also been experiencing because I'm around the same age as you. Um, I've, I've more, my exact Uranus opposition has actually already been happening. Um, I've actually already gone through like the exact one. And what does that I'm mean? A bit, I'm a little bit older than you. Um, but um, um, you have it, your Uranus right where Uranus is heading towards this year. And so um, you have Uranus, your, Uranus is actually on your south node of the moon right now. It's coming towards your moon. And because you have a moon, you have a moon Uranus opposition in your chart, which I'm sure you're very familiar with, with that, even if you, on some ways, I'm sure you know what that's about. Um, Share with the audience, just explain to the audience what that means. Yeah, so Uranus is a planet that is um, one of the more outer, outer planets. Um, it's beyond the, the traditional planets that were always used to, like, rural signs and astrology. Um, in modern times, people started talking about it ruling Aquarius, but Uranus is really like this more, um, it's farther out. Um, it was discovered during the time of like the revolutionary wars in America and France. It's, it's a planet that um, is seen as revolutionary, as emancipatory, as kind of having this kind of liberating quality to it but it can also really kind of shatter things that are shatter certain structures um it can make people um somewhat rebellious um it's extremely quick thinking too it can have just like sudden insights and knowing um it's there's it's not really stable um and the only thing that's so there's some ways that it has a lot of tension with like saturn actually um, and one of the things though about Uranus though is 
one of the ways to work with Uranus is to try to, you know, engage in what makes you really like the most authentically alive and excited about life. Um, that's one quality where um, when you're, when you're doing that with Uranus, it, things tend to go better. Um, because you have your moon opposite Uranus, that brings all these very like kind of radical revolutionary, these, um, all these ideas get, they're mixed up, I mean, into your moon, which is, um, you know, definitely involving like your emotions and the way your mind works and how you respond to things and um, emotional needs, all these sorts of things. It just, um, it's, um, you have that all the time and you're, you know, you, you've been living your whole life with that. Um, and, you know, you're born even at a full moon in Taurus. So you, you have like the sun moon opposition anyway. Your Mercury is in Scorpio near your sun ruling your ascendant. So there's a lot tied up in that Scorpio, the Scorpio Taurus opposition in your chart, uh, which is also lined up with your lunar nodes. So this is a really deep thing in your chart. I mean, it's like the thing in your chart that just like stands out really often. What does all that mean? Plus Saturn squaring it. Oh, it's like, um, I don't, I, I think it'd be too much to. <laughs> well, if you could just you give us like synopsis. You're getting about that. It's, I mean, in your, but the thing is in your chart, um, because you have this much Scorpio going on, um, and you're, and, and there's, you have the Scorpio Taurus opposition in your chart anyway, because Uranus is now coming to your moon to oppose your natal Uranus. It's going to, that transit tends to often really shake people's lives. And sometimes people live through a transit like that and their life completely changes. It really kind of varies. It's called the Uranus opposition. It sort of depends a little bit about what, when you were born with Uranus, as far as when you experience it. Um, people that have, were born with a Scorpio Uranus, like you and me, you know, we're getting at like age 43, 42, 44. Um, but it's the age, it's the transit that's sort of like the stereotypical like midlife crisis. Oh, good. You know, in movies <laughs> when people get like the, you know, they just like throw their life up. You know, the pe people just think the person's going crazy and they're, you know, driving around in a convertible. You know, that, you know, that kind of stereotype. That's, um, that's connected actually kind of with, with it. Um, and what, and sometimes it, it happens like that where somebody feels like when they're getting that transit, um, that um, what they've been doing up until now is not making them really fulfilled. You know, they, they need to do something different and what they, what they're really called to do something that's not lined up with what they're doing right now. And that will kind of throw them into sort of a crisis where that's the situation where a lot of times the person just starts doing things which to other people seem really unstable and volatile. Um, another thing that often will happen with it though is sometimes people are, are doing something and all of a sudden they get this very rapid um, acceleration with what that is. Maybe they're already kind of working on something that was very exciting to them and all of a sudden they get, they get this sort of rapid um, acceleration and maybe a, a big opportunity with it, but it, it's, it's really, challenging to the structures that they've put in place in their life. 
Um, so this would be, this thing I'm talking about, this would be only really if you're somebody born in like 1975, 1976, especially, and a little bit like people born like 1977 um, are starting to get this too. But it, it would be if you're somebody that has Uranus in like the first 10 degrees of Scorpio, if you're somebody that has that in your chart, the, the, the transit of Uranus being in Taurus is really activating it. Like for me, um, when Uranus, I have Uranus at the very beginning of Scorpio, like two degrees of Scorpio. So when Uranus first went into Taurus, I was getting a very close opposition right then. And I was already scheduled to speak at um, UAC, which is the United Astrology Conference, which is sort of the biggest astrology conference that's held in the astrology community. And it was a big deal for me to be speaking at it. Um, it was the first time I had ever, ever even uh, applied or tried to speak at an astrology conference. And I ended up getting into it. So it was sort of like I was already putting myself on a bigger stage than in the astrology community than I had ever been. Um, kind of just like speaking for the first time at the biggest conference. And then right after, or around the time, it was definitely around the time that Uranus went into Taurus. And this was, you know, pretty close to the event, only a few weeks away. Um, I just got this email from the organizer asking if I would do a second talk um, because somebody was not going to be able to speak that they had planned on speaking. And so I kind of went from having, you know, I've been preparing one talk for a while and then I had to kind of throw together a second talk without having very much time. And it was actually ironically on the Uranus opposition transit. So it was actually on the thing that I was experiencing at the time. Um, and for me, it was really scary because it, I had to just kind of put something together a lot faster than I really would have liked to, but it ended up, going really well for me and um i would say kind of in general since then i've had a lot more busyness with my astrology career which has been tricky for me just in terms of balancing the rest of my life because i don't do astrology full-time as a job i have another full-time job i do um i have daughters and who are older now my younger oldest daughter just started college um and so my younger daughter's kind of towards the end of high school now and so um, I've had more stuff going on with astrology, but it's, it's been sort of like how to negotiate that with the structures in my life. Cause I don't actually have the time to just put all of my energy um, into astrology, but I've also been trying to like, see how I can engage with that. Um, and so in your chart is just, it's much more, um, amplified because you have so much in Taurus and Scorpio you're not just getting the Uranus opposition you're getting all this other stuff combined with it but I'm sure that that's part of why you're feeling the way you're describing because it would make sense um, and this this year you're going to get um, and you're particular this is this is very much specific to you that's not going to connect with as many other people listening to this but in your particular chart the Uranus transit is going to be really impactful um, one thing I could say for both of us that would relate to more people would be that if you're anybody that has, if you're either Virgo rising or Gemini rising, like both of us are, that means you have um, Mercury ruling your chart. 
And that would mean that, you know, in general, Mercury retrogrades are going to be um, important for you. Um, and in, in our two charts, we, I have Mercury in Pisces and you have Mercury in Scorpio. For us, this is important because this year Mercury is going retrograde in water signs. Like right now, Mercury is retrograde in Pisces. It's going to go retrograde in Cancer in June. And it's going to go retrograde in Scorpio in uh, October. So for, for you and me, you and me were always kind of impacted by Mercury retrograde, maybe more than other people, because it's also in water signs. Um, it's going to be impacting us more. And that one that I'm talking about, like in October, that one is going to really impact you personally because you have, um, you know, Mercury in Scorpio and Uranus in Scorpio or Sun in Scorpio. And that particular Mercury retrograde is going to be configured to um, Uranus and Taurus. So it's going to really set off a bunch of stuff in your chart. Um, but so that's one thing like with your chart where you know, but so, and in, 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 I guess branching out to other people not going through a Uranus opposition, if you have, if anybody listening to this has like anything at like, you know, zero degrees of Taurus to like 11 degrees of Taurus, um, especially if you have stuff from like um, three degrees of Taurus to like 11 degrees of Taurus or so, or Scorpio, or Aquarius, or Leo that Uranus and Taurus transit that I'm talking about, that's going to be hitting your chart really, really hard. And the, and the difference with that one is, again, that Capricorn stuff is more kind of constricting in a way. The a Uranus transit can just kind of really shake things up. Sometimes a Uranus transit seems to just like take things out for people. Their life just really will suddenly change. Um, and that's the kind of thing where it sounds scary to people, um, but it doesn't always actually end up, everybody doesn't experience that actually in such a scary way though. Like I've had, I've been going through my Uranus opposition. I haven't had anything bad happen to me. So um, it's, it's, I don't want to make people scared with that, but the, the Uranus transit, when we're talking about that one, that's going to be more like things really changing. Um, it can actually be an exciting thing though, because you can kind of get into what's, get into the change and kind of go into it and you can really end up doing something really different. Well, that um, sounds exciting. Yeah. I mean, the, the thing that I, mean, I would say one thing this year that we, we could definitely talk about is uh, the fact that we're going to have Venus retrograde and Mars retrograde, because that's something that's going to really affect both of our charts. So um, if in, you, in your case, you have like 20 degrees uh, Gemini. It's like your midheaven. So um, you have a Gemini 10th house and actually even the point of your midheaven, which is sort of the point that very much emphasizes kind of how you're seeing the world and your career and all that. It's like 20 Gemini. That actually happens to be the same degree that my um, ascendant is actually. So Venus is going to, Venus right now is in Aries, and she's just moving along direct right now. But as we get into May, once we get into May, she's gonna enter Gemini, and she's gonna be slowing down, slowing down, slowing down, and she's eventually going to station retrograde 
on May 12th at about 21 and a half degrees or almost 22 degrees of Gemini. So what, what that means is from our perspective on earth, it, if we were just, if we were, if the things were geocentric, like the world you know, everything revolving around us on earth, it appears that, you know, Venus is stopping and then it's going to start moving backwards. Um, but what's actually happening, you know, the Venus is in between our orbit, orbit with the sun. So what's actually happening is she is just going to be passing in between our orbit with the sun. Um, it's the same thing that happens when Mercury is retrograde. So this is actually a, a period where Venus gets as close to us in orbit as she ever does. Um, she does this about five, every eight years, about five times every eight years. And very interestingly, she does this in about the same place of the zodiac at about the same time of year, uh, very roughly, it's a few days off and a few degrees off, um, every eight years. So the last time we had a Venus retrograde in Gemini was eight years ago in um, 2012, um, around the same time, like May, June. Um, the time we had a Venus retrograde before that was in um, 2004. And the time we had a Venus retrograde in Gemini before that was in uh, 1996. And so, what do we expect during a Venus retrograde? Like, yeah, so um, when a planet goes retrograde, this is, this is definitely an area where some people get scared, scared of it and expect bad things, but that's not really the way to look at it. It's sort of the same thing. Um, you know, you might hear people say really bad things about Mercury retrograde, but there's very productive things to do when Mercury is retrograde. It's not actually like this terrible time where you can't do anything. But you do want to think about, you know, how to work with, work, work with it. So one, one very fundamental thing is when Venus is moving direct, you know, we tend to think of Venus as she um, brings things together, right? She unifies things, she creates harmony, she magnetizes, she attracts things together, she seduces. We often want to be pleasing, we want to please others. Um, and so sometimes with Venus, there can be a little bit of trying to fit in to be pleasing or maybe do what others want or make yourself attractive to a certain scenario. Um, <clears throat> when Venus goes retrograde, um, she's going backwards. So there's, there's a sort of a way to think about it. It's sort of like when the planets go retrograde, they're sort of going like there's something unorthodox about what they're doing. She's moving, she's actually creating this like loop in the sky, but um, from our, if we're just tracking the, the, the zodiacal degree, she looks like she's moving backwards. And so um, she kind of goes off the beaten path, right? She's, she's doing something different. There's, there's some unorthodox quality of Venus that comes, comes out. Often that involves, especially at the beginning of the Venus retrograde phase, a um, stripping away of some patterns and different ways you've been relating with your Venus. Um, people get 
sometimes um, needing to really shake things up and do something different. So because if we're talking about Venus, that's often maybe like the way they are dressing or their appearance or their aesthetics or the way they're relating to people or the way they're you know, expressing their needs or emotional needs. Um, Venus can tend to be a lot more sort of assertive and rebellious and those types of qualities. Um, we might, for example, see more protests and things like that happening. Um, because you have, because she's, she's stationing direct, stationing retrograde, I'm sorry, at 20 degrees, 22 degrees of Gemini, if you're somebody that has 20 degrees of either Gemini, Sagittarius, Pisces, or Virgo, emphasizing your chart, this is going to hit you in a, kind of a major way. In your case, since that's your midheaven, and you actually also happen to have Venus and Sagittarius, like off at, like at 20 degrees, right? So like you have your Venus is like opposite where Venus is going to station. There's you're somebody that we can say that that's going to be a, a really pivotal experience for you. That again, it's going to begin on May 12th. The Venus stations retrograde on May 12th. And um, when Venus stations, you know, there's a midpoint of that, that retrograde where she ends up aligning in between our orbit with the sun and she forms a conjunction with the sun. And that's a real more kind of intensified burning off and purification that happens where there's sort of a, more of a rebirth. Like, so from that May 12th up until um, June 3rd, beginning of June, there might be a little bit more of that kind of stripping away and, wanting to do this, do something different and then more of a sort of regenerative kind of rebirth experience around the beginning of June. And then um, Venus ultimately stations direct on June 24th. So pretty much right after the summer solstice. And that's going to be a really volatile period because there's actually a, um, a solar eclipse. It's actually right on the summer solstice this year. Um, and that, and she's going to station direct at five degrees of Gemini. So the other point, she's going to go from like 22 degrees of Gemini back to five degrees of Gemini. So if you have stuff in your chart that like five degrees of Gemini to 22 degrees of Gemini or Sagittarius or Pisces or Virgo, if you have stuff in that zone of your chart, this Venus retrograde is going to be activating it. So for you being up in your, um, 10th house, this would, this would directly probably have to do something with your career, the way you're seen in the world, um, something about probably the way you do this podcast, as well as other things in your life, the way you're really wanting to um, make changes. Um, there, there's probably something building with that other kind of tension and restriction you're describing that's going to become more um, intensified during that time. And so if you, if you know, if you kind of know you're having that go into it, you, you can just sort of, um, I guess, just be ready for it. And just, you know, if you're feeling like doing something different on one hand, you know, kind of knowing that would be normal. Um, it also though, if it's something where I guess in terms of being very destructive, 
to a certain scenario in your life, it might be good to take pause to kind of be like, you know, is this really what I want? Or am I just kind of getting wrapped up in how I'm being impacted by this? Like for me with it being on my ascendant, being my first house, um, that's going to be more about just me in general. So it, it certainly could relate to me in my career, but it could really relate to almost any area of my life being Gemini rising. Certainly it could relate to maybe the, like my style or the way I'm presenting myself or interacting with people. Um, maybe there's some new presence or new way I need to really kind of come in, you know, it's changing the way I've been doing things before. Um, if you are like somebody that's like Sagittarius rising though, so you have Gemini as your seventh house, that would be much more about your relationships and something really different coming in about your relationships or you meet some person that's really different, different types of relationships or friendships coming in, something like that. Um, if you are Pisces rising, um, you would have Gemini as your fourth house. And so this would be centered more um, about your home or your family, you know, and that sort of thing. Um, an interesting thing for you, though, Amanda, would be that since you have Gemini as your 10th house, but you have Venus down at your fourth house, opposite this, you, there might be a thing where you're kind of getting both things happening at once, where there's some kind of there's obviously something being activated about your career and the way you're seeing the world and what you're doing. But there's, there's a, because you have Venus down the fourth house opposite this place, you know what I'm saying? It's going to kind of be impacting that at the same time. So something about the interplay between your home life and career or your inner life and outer life getting really activated. Um, so for you, that, that's a really clear one. Um, Something else would be that's part of this particular Venus retrograde is Neptune, because Neptune is going to be forming a square to um, the Venus retrograde. And in fact, during it, Mars is going to be in Pisces, combining with Neptune, forming a square to the Venus. Um, and so for you, um, Neptune is coming, is in Pisces right now. So you have Neptune coming towards your seventh house. I mean, it's actually in your seventh house whole sign, but it's coming really close to your descendant, which is like the angle, angle marker opposite your ascendant. So you're also like, so for you, for example, someone who's Virgo rising that has a Venus retrograde up in the 10th house impacting the career, there's also like a Neptune thing going on in the seventh house with relationships that might be, there's some some kind of confusion or something to really kind of sort through there. Sometimes that can also be something very though, idealistic um, or ideal even. Neptune can come in like so many different ways. Um, but for you or anybody else that has these like mutable ascendants, like Virgo, Sagittarius, Gemini, this Neptune Venus retrograde thing is gonna be especially impactful. And that again is gonna be from like May into basically the end of June. And what's the best way to work with that kind of energy? Like I hear impactful and big changes and mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm already experiencing a lot of restriction and, and a, 
I was trying to think of like how I really feel about this. And in a lot of ways, I feel quite disconnected and aloof. Um, I'm definitely disconnecting with my old ways and I'm not resonating with the way things have been. And I've had clients challenging me, um, getting upset with me that I'm not doing things the way that I used to be and where I would really be concerned about um, their expectations and really wanting to nurture them and care for them. I'm in a place where I don't give a shit. I'm mm. really, you know, I'm, I'm kind of entering into this phase where I'm like, you know what, I'm really tired of taking every, you know, everyone else's concerns um, and prioritizing them above my own at, at my own sacrifice. And so it sounds like, and for you as well, I, I'm glad that you brought up this Uranus opposition because I actually have never heard of that. I've heard of the Saturn return, but I haven't heard of the Uranus opposition. Mm -hmm. But, it, you know, in a lot of ways, it sounds like I'm really going to be going through the ringer this year with this Uranus opposition and, you know, mm -hmm. changing of, you know, or, or really understanding my authentic self as far as my career goes. Um, mm -hmm. It sounds like a real stripping away of sorts to kind of emerge as, okay, this is who I want to be and this is what I want to be doing because this is what I'm most passionate about. Yeah, I mean, so one of the things that's going to be going on with that that we could talk about more broadly for everybody is that it's, so the thing I'll describe before about the Venus retrograde, just how that is normally and how it can kind of activate you, yeah, to do that kind of stripping away or, or not do things the way you've been doing them before um, and really kind of do something different in terms of like your relationships and all that type of Venus type of thing. Because Venus is stationing, squaring uh, Neptune, that could come out a, a lot of different ways. Um, for some people, it's, it's really going to depend on the situation. There could be some sort of... Um, illusion realizing like the illusion of something that you've been really wrapped up in like you re you've realized you've had this illusion about something for you being virgo rising that illusion would be in your relationships because it's your seventh house um me being gemini rising that illusions in my 10th house of, of like my career or what i'm doing in the world um, somebody who is Sagittarius rising, um, that illusion is going to be in their fourth house of like at, at home or their family or unconscious, maybe even ancestral stuff, something like that. So it's going to kind of where those things point out to, but that's one thing because of the Venus squaring Neptune. There is another part of that though, where Neptune can also be, um, there could be also sort of like a spiritual awakening in a way that can certainly also sometimes come in with Neptune, which certainly can sometimes, spiritual awakenings can also feel very um, ungrounded though. Um, and Neptune can make it harder to pay attention to like the details and daily mundane types of things. So especially in May um, and the beginning of May, there might be a need to, if, if this is hitting your chart pretty hard, be aware of that. Um, it also could be though very imaginative because Venus going retrograde and it's squaring Neptune, 
it could really like if somebody is doing something more artistic or maybe even with like a feng shui practice or some kind of practice that you have you might get some kind of much more kind of out of the box unorthodox kind of wild experimental types of ideas that you just hadn't thought of before and, and be willing to really go and do it um so there's a there's a lot of different ways that it can can come come out but because neptune is configured to this typically with that sometimes we have to go through the types of like being being disillusioned by something and then kind of realizing um, more of like your inner truth, you know, through that process. So that's likely something that will show up for people during that, during that transit. Um, the one other thing, if we, I don't know how much more time we have to keep talking, you know, but there's, the two planets that are sort of, you know, Venus is a planet that orbits like in between Earth and the sun, right? And Mars is a planet that's like orbiting right outside of our orbit. And we, we think about Mars and Venus as these planets are very much about like our relationships and how we're really engaging and going after things we want. And, you know, whereas Venus is more what we want, what we value, what we're attracted to, what pleases us, that kind of thing. Mars is much more like, what are we wanting to fight about? What are we, um, you know, with, with relationships, it's, it's a little bit more of a sexual attraction as well as assertive type of thing, or, you know, where do we need to protect people or fight for people or sometimes fight against people? Um, so, after we go through this whole Venus retrograde, which is, again, that's from May until like the end of June, then it's sort of like, we're kind of like recovering from that. Um, <clears throat> but at the same time that Venus finally stations direct, which is June 24th, on June 27th, Mars is gonna go into Aries. And what's notable about that is Mars is not gonna leave Aries for the rest of the entire year because Mars is going to basically move to the end of Aries, start to slow down. And then on September 9th, Mars is going to do the same thing Venus did in May. It's going to slow down, stop, and then start to move backwards. And that's going to happen at like 28 degrees of Aries on September 9th. So then we're going to go through this period of time where that same kind of quality we're talking about with Venus, you know, this is going to be with like Mars. So, and people respond to Mars retrogrades in really different ways. What's similar about it to me with Venus retrograde is it can be a time period where you can open yourself up to doing something really different that you haven't done before. Um, and one, the way that I've most productively had it play out in my life would be different desires or things I've wanted to go after in my life that for one reason or another, I just didn't do before. And I get myself to kind of activate it and go after it. Um, some people, I notice though, some people who are, I guess maybe it might be the types of people that, are, that tend to be more kind of overachieving going after things all the time. Some people feel more frustrated in the, that type of way when Mars goes retrograde. So I know, you know, people kind of have different experiences with it. But that's going to be the other um, really major thing that happens during the year. 
Um, and so this would be something which ends up coming into play with the whole Capricorn, Cancer, Libra thing I talked about at the beginning of the year, beginning of the year where um, the Mars retrograde is going to be in Aries forming a square to all this Capricorn, which is Saturn, Pluto, Jupiter. So this will be especially notable for people that have, you know, Aries rising or Libra rising or Cancer rising or Capricorn rising, or you may be somebody that have important planets in Aries, Capricorn, um, Cancer or Libra. So I, for example, have Aries, um, Venus um, at the end of Aries, basically where Mars is stationing retrograde. So I'm gonna have Mars station retrograde on my Venus. So I know that I'm going, I'm personally going to be going through a couple of really big changes this year, you know, um, where I, I'm first going to get Venus stationing retrograde on my ascendant, followed by Mars stationing retrograde on my Venus. There's obviously something about my Venus and how I'm using my Venus in the world. Um, that's up for a change this year. But, you know, depending on what you have, in your chart in these different ways, it's, it's going to really, you know, vary person to person. Um, like for you, this is going to be Mars retrograde in your eighth house. So that could be certainly some of those themes like um, other people's money. So it could definitely be a financial type of thing. Um, <clears throat> and um, if you have like a partner, it'd be like maybe their money or how that combines with your money. Um, it could also be some more sort of like subconscious types of feelings and things stirring up some things in you. Um, or maybe it could be some kind of more, uh, some kind of experience, maybe combined with all the other stuff we're talking about, you'd, you'd already be going through this year. Some sort of more deep inner drive within you kind of gets stirred up through this transit to, um, um, kind of compel you in this in this particular direction whatever it is um almost by maybe having to deal with some difficult like responding to some difficult thing going on um that kind of tests you but you know you you end up it ends up um pulling out these like just extra drive from you or that, or that sort of quality um and so this is something that's going to make the it's for so, so example in america the u.s presidential election is going to most likely just be, as we already kind of know, completely insane um, because this is like building all the way through the U.S. presidential election, like the last few months going into the presidential election. Um, and so again, it's going to be, it's going to be, it's going to really vary depending on people's charts, you know, how that plays out. But because we have these two you know, at the beginning, I was mentioning all these like bigger outer planets have changes, cycles happening. But then we also get the Venus retrograde followed by the Mars retrograde. It sort of um, really creates a scenario where there's a lot of like interpersonal changes happening for all of us within these greater kind of cycles of bigger changes happening. I appreciate, you know, all of the explanations that you gave and and what i really wanted to do was just show people um how different our blueprints really are and how we do come here with a stack of cards for lack of a better word or tools that we come with 
to have a certain experience and to hopefully glean from it, you know, a certain perspective. And, you know, I've definitely been feeling the restriction. Um, I feel something is brewing. I feel something's brewing in me because, you know, like I said, I've, I've been kind of indifferent, whereas in the past I haven't been. And, you know, clearly you're going through some changes as well, but they're entirely different than what I'm experiencing. And I, that's really what I wanted to be able to accomplish today as, you know, the listeners listen to this. I want them to understand that we've got this overarching theme of 2020, which everyone has said, you know, by the time we get to December, we are not going to be in the same year that we were in, in January. It's going to look entirely different. It's going to feel entirely different. And it's because of the astrology, but, you know, individually, it really depends on your own fate and your own destiny. And the only way you're really going to know what that looks like and what your experiences are going to be is to work with someone like Gray so that, you you know, as he's talking about ascendance and North nodes and South nodes, and, you know, all of ours are entirely different. Um, we've got different activities going on in different houses. And so, that's going to be, it's just like in feng shui, whereas the closest thing to you has the greatest effect on you. And so your personal astrology is what's going to have the personal effect on you. So if people, you know, are listening to this and they're really curious about what's going on in their own chart and, you know, would like someone like you to help them understand, you know, what they're up against and, and what they're going to go through this year and would like to understand what their experience might look like, how would they get in contact with you? How, how can they work with you? Yeah, so I have a website, which is graycrawford.net. It's G-R-A-Y-C-R-A-W-F-O-R-D.net. And if you go to that site, you can see the um, articles I just write about current transits. But you'll see a tab that says, like, consultations and services. And it has my email there that you can email me, which is um, consultation at graycrawford.net. But there's actually also a form that you can just fill out if you want to just do that instead and, and contact me that way. Um, and yeah, and then I, you can definitely, I can do um, needle chart readings, just looking at your birth chart and talking about the transits in a general type of way like we're talking about right now. There's other, some other types of things I can do. I also do horary astrology, which is when you might have a question about a certain scenario. Like for example, you're bringing up real estate, for example, like you might be, oh, what's going on with this real estate situation? You can, um, horary astrology, kind of drop a chart for that question and interpret it. Um, that's something else I can do if people are interested in that. And you can also, on my website, I need to make another link for it, but um, I think there's a, a link, a page that says, a tab that says link on it that you can click on. And it'll, it'll say support me on Patreon on there. I do have a Patreon. If you've heard of Patreon before, it's a like a subscription service where if people are interested in... Um, Doing that, I have a couple of different monthly subscriptions basically. One's for like $3 a month, and you get basically discounts on consultations and stuff like that with me. And there's some extra information I share through the Patreon page. 
Um, but also I have a very cheap rate for the horary astrology, actually just like $25 for one. If you, if you do that thing, the $3 a month, I'll do the horary astrology for like $25 a question. Um, but then there's also one that's like $9 a month. And the thing that's different about that is that I do a monthly uh, Zoom meeting of people that are um, patrons on that level where we just kind of get together and talk about the astrology each month. And I answer people's questions and that sort of thing. So that's an extra thing on there too, in addition to just getting a, a reading with me if you're interested in that. Awesome. Well, great. I really appreciate you coming on the show today and explaining more about what 2020 holds and showing examples of how, you know, it really depends on your own chart and what you've got going on with the fate and the destiny and how it's going to be a different experience for everyone. So thank you for saying yes to this and really sharing your expertise with, with us today. Yeah, thank you for having me on. It was a lot of fun. I know that today's show went really long compared to most of our shows, but I really wanted to take the time necessary to talk about the astrology just to give y'all a little bit of comfort and understanding and just, I think half of the battle is just having some awareness. Just think of all of the people out there that aren't doing the work and aren't, you know, really searching inside and cultivating their chi and getting outside and meditating and, you know, they're watching really scary movies and scary shows and getting frustrated and, you know, really seeping in those angry, frustrated, gross emotions. What do we call those? That's right, below the cross. So having awareness of what's going on, knowing that it's coming and knowing that it's happening and that there's a bigger picture, there's a bigger reason for what's going on is really half the battle. So I hope that this show has helped you. I hope that it has given you some information and some understanding and softens it as best as possible. I know it doesn't take it all away and it is going to be uncomfortable going through it, but know that you have an advantage by knowing that it's here, it's coming, and we're all getting through it and there's no way to avoid it. So lean into it the best that you can. Don't forget, I am going to be putting uh, how to remove negative energy from your home and Feng Shui 101 Basics on sale. So if you're looking for something to do that's productive and fun and teaches you Feng Shui, be uh, sure to head on over to my courses page to check those out and to purchase. And you can also find out more information on my website interiorvibes.com if you're interested in doing a feng shui consultation. I've been doing those virtually for a couple of years now, knowing that, uh, you know, this transition was coming. So been building that for a while. So we are set and ready to go if you'd like to do a consultation. And don't forget my YouTube channel, Amanda Gates Feng Shui, has a bevy of information, over a hundred videos to help you, you know, learn more about feng shui, tips and tricks you can do at home, and, you know, just some adding some comfort uh, in some pretty scary times. All right, everyone, trust the vibe because the energy never lies. <laughs>